the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's the Wednesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And every weekday at 4 o'clock, we're here to take your phone calls and answer your questions. Questions about the Bible, what it says, what it means, uh, what we believe as Christians and why. Maybe you're going through something really difficult in your life. We'll do the best that we can to answer any questions that you have. Here are the phone numbers for your live calls, 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way for you to call is use the hands-free option on the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now button. You'll be connected directly to the best studio producer in the whole world. So all of that is available for you. Hey, because it's Wednesday, and Wednesday is like my second favorite day. It's my second favorite day because that means tomorrow, my favorite day, is the date day edition of the program. Ladies, it's a show that we do for you every Thursday. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow. Her voice is back, so I imagine by now she has a lot to say. So on tomorrow's program, we'd love to have your calls and questions. If you need any encouragement at all, she's the one. Uh, also, because it's Wednesday night, um, we have our Old Testament Bible study night here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, tonight, First Samuel chapter 25, we're going to do about half of the chapter. Um, important stuff. Boy, there's a lot to learn from King David's life. So all of that going on here at Calvary Chapel. One more thing before we get into the questions. I want to remind you yet again, and I'll do this every day, and I know Paula will talk about it a little bit tomorrow as well. But Joy of Jesus is coming up. It's our outreach event every year at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio. It's Saturday, October the 28th. From 11 o'clock in the morning until 3 in the afternoon, we'd love to have you come down and visit. It will absolutely amaze you to see everything that's going on there. Um, Everything from giving clothes away to giving food away to uh, the children's ministry. We have a huge children's area, a very, very, very secure children's area uh, where we've got a concert this year featuring Jocelyn Enriquez. Uh, Additionally, we're going to do haircuts and makeovers and manicures and and uh, our whole medical staff will be out there to, to minister to the people in the park. But most of all, Jesus is going to be there. I think it's his favorite day of the year at Calvary Chapel because we get to go out and really minister to the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. So Saturday, October 28th at Travis Park in downtown San Antonio, we would love for you to join us. More on that as the day approaches. In fact, I'm going to have Pastor Juan Ortiz on the air on Monday on the program. He is our Joy of Jesus pastor. Um, It's his responsibility to take care of all this stuff and make sure it all gets done. So he'll be on the program to talk about it uh, on this coming Monday. Okay, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. 
Here is a radio question from our email inbox from Erica. And Erica says, hi, Papa Ron. Hi, Erica. That means I know who you are. Here's her question. Can people commit suicide once the rapture has happened, or does that rule only apply during a specific judgment in Revelation 9, 6? Uh, Erica, I think you're probably on to it in the, in the uh, only applying uh, at, at the culmination of that series of judgments. Revelation 9, 6 says, During those days men will seek death but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. And this is when the, the series of, of um, judgments begin. This is when uh, the locusts who are released, these are supernatural. They're not locusts like we understand locusts. Uh, but they're given power uh, to torture humans for five months. So I think, Erica, probably in this context, uh, men not being able to kill themselves uh, will be for that period of five months. Uh, and the agony, it says, they suffered was like that of a sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Uh, strikes a man. So what we're talking about is a very, very horrendous supernatural judgment from God, so horrible that people would rather die but they're not going to die. No matter what they do, they won't be able to die during that five-month period of time. So, Erica, thanks for the question. I hope that answers your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is um, a question from, let me see, we got here from Richard from a mobile app. I like this question, Richard. Uh, the question is, has God taken a hands-off approach in the events of this world and in our lives or does he still somehow influence things today? Richard, one of the great things about God is the doctrine, doctrine of his sovereignty. And by that means God does not take a hands-off approach uh, in the events of this world at all, nor, and especially in our lives. He is involved in everything that he can be involved in, um, daily, hourly, minute by minute even. Now, that doesn't mean he forces us to do things, or he doesn't uh, force us to behave one way or another. But what it means is he's really, really involved in everything. And we know what Romans 8.28 says, that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And I think, Richard, this is the, the doctrine of his sovereignty that is the most amazing thing to me. God takes everything that happens, even those things perpetrated by his enemies, um, the things caused by the devil, fallen demons, fallen angels. And he takes all of that and sort of, I call it Rubik's cubing, he sort of Rubik's cubes everything together for the good of those who love him, that's you and me, Richard, and who are called according to his purpose. Now, when we think about the significance of this, it means clearly that nothing can happen to us that can stop us from the call of God in our lives. Whatever God's called you to do, whatever he's planned for you to do, events in this world won't interrupt it. Now, Richard, I think maybe the reason you asked the question is because we have a situation in our culture where people think, well, if God was a God of love, he'd stop all the evil. No, that's not his job. No, he's going to do that. We call that the Great Tribulation when he returns, uh, sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. He's going to end all evil. But until that time, God is patient, waiting for those that he knows are going to be saved. He's patient, Peter says, unwilling that any should perish. Uh, but please don't ever misunderstand and think that he's not involved in the events of this world. He doesn't cause them, but he's always behind the scene like, um, somebody who knows what a Rubik's Cube is, is all about, playing with a Rubik's Cube and making everything come up the right color. So God is exceptionally involved. And one of the comments that I make on this, Richard, and I think this is important for everybody who's listening, this is why it's so tragic when we who are Christians are not seeking, fighting really, to be in his presence all day, every day. Because there's always something God has on his plate for you. Every day, all we have to do is be with him. All we have to do is walk worthy of his name. And by that, I mean we walk in obedience to him, following him with all of our heart, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And too many of us, when we take a hands-off approach, we sort of let, well, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen. And that sort of fatalism is, is, I think, one of the biggest fruit killers in the church today. Every day can be that day when something special happens. Every day. I'm slowing down a little bit because I think the Lord's speaking to my heart. There's somebody listening. Maybe there's several of you who are listening who've kind of given up. Maybe God hasn't used you and you think, well, what's the point? Today could be the day that your life changes forever. All you have to do is be available to the Lord. And this could be the day that everything changes. So, for you, Richard, and for everybody else, God is intimately involved in the details of our lives, as any loving Father would be. Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit to live in us so that we don't have to miss out on any of those things that He's planned for us. All we have to do is supply the desire. If we supply the desire, if we supply the willingness, if we're available, not able, if we're available, He will enable us. But all we have to do is give Him that opportunity. So, um, no hands-off approach. That is uh, really, really, really bad theology. 340-9585. Here is a question from Drew from our email inbox. Another revelation question. At what time along the biblical timeline will believers line up at the Bema seat to receive their rewards for their service? Before the thousand years, immediately after our death, or when others are at the white throne? Uh, Drew, the timing isn't given specifically to us, but it is my very, very strong belief here that the Bema Seed is going to happen when we're raptured to be with Jesus in heaven. Now remember, we're going to be there for seven years as Earth views time, but we're stepping outside of time and space into, into timelessness. And that means there's going to be plenty of time to do all these things. I think it is a wedding celebration. That's when we are officially going to be married to Jesus. We're engaged to him now, just as Mary and Joseph were betrothed. We're betrothed to Jesus. But at some point, some glorious point, we're going to be right there in his presence and we're going to be the guest of honor at our own wedding to Jesus. Now, is it going to be a huge wedding? Of course it is. But it's at that moment when we will go on this famous seat, this judgment seat, uh, a judgment of works, not a judgment of salvation, but a judgment of works. Were our works good or were they good for nothing? That's what 1 Corinthians 3 says. We'll receive our crowns of righteousness. We'll cast them down at his feet. And that's when it's going to happen. And we will be in our glorified, resurrected bodies. So it's going to happen before the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. It's going to happen concurrently with the seven-year great tribulation on earth but it will be a seven-year wedding party for you and for me, Drew, who are born-again believers. Uh, The White Throne. The White Throne Judgment uh, is something that no Christian ever has to worry about. The second death is what the Bible calls it. And we who have died to ourselves and been born again in Christ don't have to worry about the second death. The Great White Throne is only going to be for those at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, only for those who have refused to bow a knee and to bow their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Christians don't have to worry about the great white throne judgment at all, not in any fashion or form. Um, We will be there, of course, because we will be with Jesus. Um, But God's justice, His holiness, His perfection will be celebrated and lest any of you think that the great white throne is sort of mean, I've had some questions this week about how could God send people to hell kind of questions. Um, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means those who are going into the great white throne judgment will bow their knee. It will be a terrifying moment. 
in eternity for them, but they will acknowledge that Jesus is just, that he is righteous, and his judgments, the angels in heaven will say, are righteous and true. So what we have to do is remember that we can escape that judgment. If anybody is listening to this program who's not yet a Christian, no one has to go to hell. We choose to do so when we choose not to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. doesn't matter how nice you think you are, how much good you try to do. It doesn't matter how good you try to be. The standard of heaven is perfection. And what we need to do is remember that he was the only perfect one. And then and only then are we in a place where we can be with him forever and ever and ever. So thank you very much. I hope that um, makes some sense to you. 340-9585. Wednesday, sometimes the phones are slow. We'd love to have your calls because, frankly, you're a lot more interesting than I am. Uh, here is a question from Jenny. I'm sorry, it's not Jenny, it's Kenny. I know that Jesus is the Son of God, but is he God? I know some Christians who don't believe that Jesus is God. Kenny, if you know anybody who professes to be a Christian who doesn't believe Jesus is God, they're not a Christian. I want to make that really, really clear. Jesus is the Son of God. God incarnate in human flesh to be able to die for the sins of the world. But if he's not God, then we're all lost in our sins because the Bible is equally clear. Only God can forgive sins. So please, with all of your persuasiveness, tell them, if you don't believe Jesus is God, what makes you think you're a Christian? So the only way to get to heaven, if you don't have the Father, you don't have the Son. If you don't have the Son, Jesus said, you don't have the Father. So there's no other way. And that's why he is the only name under heaven by which men must be saved because only God can forgive sins. So let me make this really clear. I referred to this in a question yesterday as well. The fact that somebody professes to be a Christian, I know Mormons who believe they're Christians, Jehovah's Witnesses, who will call themselves Christians. But if you don't believe Jesus is God, then you don't have a Jesus that can save. It's not the name, J-E-S-U-S, that saves. It's the person of Jesus Christ. If you refer to Jesus as the, the, the brother of Lucifer, or if you look at Jesus as Michael the Archangel, uh, if you look at Jesus as a prophet, it's not good enough. Because he is a consuming God, a consuming holy God. And not only did Jesus make references to being God over and over and over, the rest of the New Testament is replete with references to Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, fully God, the exact image, the exact representation. So if you love the people that you're talking to, Kenny, tell them that without Jesus being God, if they don't believe it, they're not Christians. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. Here's a question from Anonymous. Uh, this question is... is um, a killer for me because I always get in trouble. Uh, do you think it's okay for a 14-year-old girl to have her own cell phone? <sighs> I can't be legalistic about this. There isn't a Bible verse that says, what's the age of accountability for having a cell phone? Here's what I know, Anonymous. I know that cell phones open up your children to some really, really dangerous places. I also know that most kids 14 years old or more know a lot more about their cell phones and how to maneuver around them than the parents do. 
Here's what I don't think it's ever okay to do. I don't think it's okay to turn your 14-year-old or your 17-year-old or your 18-year-old if they live at home loose with a device that can be used by the enemy to destroy them. You know, the Song of Solomon says a couple of times, do not awaken desire before it comes. Um, your children are carrying around instant access to pornography. You say, well, my daughter is 14 years old. Believe me, that's no guarantee. Well, I trust my daughter. You're her mother, not her friend. So please, 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 if you allow them to have a cell phone, I asked this question because I knew this question was coming up. I asked this question of another pastor, and he goes, well, no, cell phones are very important communication devices. You know, we have we have all the kids turn in their cell phones when they come to school here at Calvary Chapel or at the academy, um, and then they take them back. And uh, at first, we weren't even going to let them bring them in the building, and the people that complained the most were the parents. Well, I have to be able to get a hold of my daughter. I have to be able to get a hold of my son. Well, how about you call the school office? We always have somebody here answering the phone. All they have to do is go in and say, your mother needs to talk to you. I've got her on the phone. And bring her right into the church office and we can talk. But here's what has happened. And this is a really dangerous thing. I've talked to Pastor Nelly, who is our high school pastor, uh, about this uh, at length. Because he knows I'm not a, a techie at all. But he knows um, what these kids are doing. He follows them on Snapchat and Instagram. And, um, you know, that's what a good pastor does. He, he, he monitors the things they're saying, the comments they're making, uh, the places that they're visiting, all those things. Um, and, and they know it, by the way. Uh, but, you know, you get behind the keyboard, you get behind a cell phone, and you, you, you just lose sight of any personal responsibility. And he said to, to our parents here at Calvary Chapel, he said, any parent who lets their child be alone in their bedroom, especially all night with their cell phone, is allowing them access to a spiritual nuclear bomb. And I don't really understand why otherwise protective, loving parents would put their children in danger. I also want to say this, Anonymous, I do not believe that it is a child's right to have a cell phone. I know everybody else is doing it. I know that kids feel that entitlement. But it's not their right. Some children can be trusted, but every single person that I've talked to about this, and I'm even including other pastors, their own children have said that by and large it's worked out okay but there have been some difficulties people they're talking to they're not supposed to talk to people that they're um, facebooking with that they're not supposed to be facebooking with people they don't even know so is it okay for a 14-year-old girl to have a cell phone? That's your decision. It's You're the parent. I'm just telling you what the inherent dangers are. And no matter how much you think your child tells you everything, she doesn't. I know that because you didn't and I didn't when we were that age. No matter how good you think they are, they're not above temptation. And that cell phone in the hands of a teenager is an open door to the enemy. And believe me, the devil uses that open door to try to destroy these children. Can I say something else since I'm on this topic? I want to phrase this carefully. Our children are losing the ability to communicate with real humans. Paul and I, we always remark about this. It always saddens us. We go to a restaurant, families are out eating together. Instead of talking, they're all buried in their cell phones. 
and there's no real communication. Dinner should be a time of family. Cell phones have no place in a bedroom. Cell phones have no place when other humans are present. And we're so tethered to them. This is addictive behavior, these cell phones. And we're so tethered to them that we've forgotten how to be polite. We've forgotten what actually talking to somebody is all about. Sharing our hearts. Instead, we talk or text or tweet. Not to mention that it seems to destroy a child's ability to spell. Families need to talk. And the cell phone is teaching them just the opposite. So Anonymous, be careful. You choose. But why would you put your daughter in a dangerous place? You love her. Protect her. Be her mom and not her friend. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. Phones have been quiet. We'd love your live calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the Word to Santa for Life. Lord willing, we'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the wednesday edition program hey did i say paula's going to be live in studio with me tomorrow at four o'clock on the day, day edition of the program ladies it is your day 340-9585 for your live calls and questions I had a question come in over the break from, he's pulling it up now. He's pulling it up from, I want, <laughs> well, here's the question. Who is Jocelyn Enriquez? That, that question comes from Elaine. Um, our our program just our, our, during the break, wow, the the promo for Do of Jesus just came up. So somebody flashed, who is Jocelyn Enriquez? Uh, Jocelyn is the wife of our worship pastor. His name is Elaine, not Elaine, but Elaine. Uh, and before she got saved, she was a, a top selling um top 40 billboard artist. I don't even know what the right terminology is because that's so far out of my comfort zone. Um, but she was really, really big in the in the 90s uh, for dance music. Um, if you were dancing in a club, uh, you danced to her music, I promise. And since I've not been in a club to dance, I, that, I wouldn't know. I didn't know who she was. Uh, but you can Google her, Jocelyn Enriquez, E-N-R-I-Q-U-E-Z. Her name is now Jocelyn Makasadia. And she is, um, she's able to be seen here every Sunday uh, and and most Wednesdays uh, for worship, uh, her and her husband. And, and on Wednesday nights, her son, uh, Tim, um, um, Matthew, joins him. And um, um, she's now singing for Jesus. She's now singing for Jesus. So um, it's a blessing. She still has a big following of people. Uh, whenever people find out that she's here, especially if they're Filipino, um, they come in and sort of give her the star treatment kind of thing. But it's really neat because now her voice is just for Jesus. Now she'll be singing at the concert some of her old hit records and things like that. But what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Jesus. And she will testify about Jesus, what he's done in her life. And um, one of the neat things about the way Jesus changes us is that when People look at you, they can see it. And when you see Jocelyn's heart on that stage, now she's really, really good. But better than that, she loves Jesus with all of her heart. So that's who Jocelyn is. And I could spend the rest of the, the half hour talking about her. But bless her heart, she loves Jesus, and she's going to be there on Joy of Jesus Day. 
Here's a question from Leslie. Uh, Leslie says, I grew up in church and have always been taught that Jesus' death is the most important thing about his life. It seems odd to me that his death is more important than his life. Can you explain why that is so? I can, Leslie, because when he was born, um, I want you to think about something for a moment, and this is um, almost impossible to comprehend. But imagine God leaving heaven, leaving the worship of angels, and being placed in the womb of a teenage girl. And then imagine God being born into abject poverty. Like all cute little newborns, he would have made the greatest noises. He would have cried when he was hungry. His mother would have been there to take care of him. His stepfather, Joseph, would have been there to help. And normally when we have a new baby, the parents look at this child and think, oh, what a future he'll have. He'll be successful or she'll be successful or uh, we want him to do this or we want him to do that. We want him to marry and have children. We want him to have a great life. We want him to be successful. Well, Jesus' mother and stepfather had no such hopes because every day of Jesus' life was one day closer to his death. You see, Leslie, that's what he came here to do. Now, he lived and he taught us in his life. For sure, he taught us how we should live. He gave us an example to follow. He, he taught us how we can be saved. But his life wasn't the point. It was his death. Now, his life was perfect. It was without sin. But all of that only qualified him to die in our place. And you see, it's in his death that we find our salvation. In his death, we find life. He was punished for our sins so that we wouldn't have to be punished. And when he died, he said, it is finished, or really, literally, the debt is paid. It's a business term. And when he said that, your sin debt and mine was canceled. If we believe, your sin debt and mine, Leslie, was canceled. Now, if he stayed dead, and this is what I always tell anybody from another religion, if he stayed dead, then all we would have is this false hope. The myth of Jesus, the superstitious of Jesus, superstition of Jesus. He said he was God, but then he died so he must not have been God. But you see, he came back to life. So while his death saves us, it's his resurrection which guarantees us the safety and security of knowing beyond any doubt that we can be with Jesus. I had a call yesterday from a, a, a listener, Alan, who's called for a long time. Really, really a nice man. And, and um, we've had lots of great conversations. He is a Muslim. Um, we've had a lot of conversations uh, over the years on this program. He asked me about how we can know we're secure. And my response should have been that I've been saved for more than 26 years and I've never had one moment's doubt about my place in heaven, about my salvation. Never one moment of doubt. Now I know some people go through that. I understand that. But I, I've been blessed, I understand, um, but, but I've never had even a moment's doubt. He came into my life, he changed it so radically. My desires, the direction of my life, just the, the way I live now, I couldn't even conceive of living before I got saved. And all of that, Leslie, because of his death. If there's anyone in this listening audience who wants that kind of security and that kind of peace, I offer you Jesus, who proved he was God, because when they killed him, he didn't stay dead. This isn't a story we Christians make up. He didn't almost die on the cross and then suddenly get revived. 
This wasn't the disciples conspiring together. He died. He was alive. And then a whole bunch of people, 500 at one time, saw him ascend into the heavens. Leslie, that's why his death matters so much. 340-9585. Ray just called in the studio and said, People say abortion is a woman's right to choose. What does the Bible say? Ray, the Bible says you can't choose to murder somebody. Thou shalt not murder. We know from David's Psalms that he was known by God, knit in his mother's womb, sinful at conception. So there can't be any doubt, at least from a Christian perspective, about when life begins. And the world always does what they want to do, even though it's in rebellion against God, and then rationalize it away. No woman, you know, the argument is, well, it's, I have control over my own body. I get to say what's, what, what happens in my own body. You don't. If you didn't want a baby, you shouldn't have sex. But once you did, that's a life and you have no right to take life. So Ray, that's what the Bible says. And what people say doesn't really matter. We live in a world that hates Jesus. We live in a world has decided they hate anything or anyone who won't let them do exactly what they want to do and feel good about it. So it's very, very important we understand in this area of abortion, as Christians, it's our obligation to be on Jesus' side of this argument. So does a woman have a right to choose? She has the free will to choose, but she has no right to take the life of another. Now, obviously, we have people that exercise that right to take human life all the time. We've just seen the tragedy in Las Vegas. We, In our city here, we, we saw the senseless murder of a man in a home invasion. We, 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 we see these things happen all the time. But there's a price to be paid for making those choices. To exercise our free will in a way that opposes God, there is a consequence that's going to be eternal that has to be paid. So abortion isn't a woman's right to choose. Abortion is murder by any definition. You know, I was just asked about Jocelyn Enriquez, and she wouldn't mind me sharing this at all. In fact, she shared it publicly. So um, she remembered the first time that her and her husband, Elaine, had to sit down and talk with Matthew. There was an interview coming out that she talked about how close she came to aborting her firstborn. And, and they realize as they, they've done that video, or they, they, they've done that interview, and Matthew didn't know. So they had to sit down with Matthew. And I, I think he understood it, but I think when, when he actually saw the interview that came out on Ken's 5 TV, it just hit him. You mean I, I almost wasn't here? And that was exactly what would have happened. Ray, we've killed, give or take a few, 65 million babies since Roe v. Wade in 1973. How many evangelists, how many preachers, how many scientists, how many brilliant people, how many wonderfully gifted servants of the people, we now call them politicians, maybe there was somebody in that 65 million who could communicate with the world in such a way that makes sense and lead them to God. I think about all of the factory workers, librarians, police officers, soldiers who would have been here. had their mothers not been allowed to murder them. They can call it what they want, but the Bible calls it murder. So, thank you, Ray, for the question. 340-9585, John from Spring Branch just wrote in. 
A family member of mine, along with his family of five, is deeply involved in a church that seems more like a cult. This congregation of about 40 believers uh, believes that all other churches and people outside of their religion are going to hell and are very works-based. What is the best way to approach this subject? John, I think with earnest prayer. Now, sometimes we who are Christians, we think that, that, that well, prayer is not enough. i got to do something. Prayer is the most important thing you can do. I always say, especially in these spiritual battles, prayer is firing the winning shot. So you've got to pray, pray, pray. Now, you can't argue with them, but you need to tell them, at least so that they will maybe start looking into it themselves. Anybody who says they're the only ones who are really saved is a cult by definition. Ask them who they're taught Jesus is. Jesus talked about a large family, not just just one small group. Tell them that you're so concerned that you can't imagine heaven without them. And because you love them, because you care for them, you've got to let them know that this is a cult and they're in spiritual danger, perhaps even in physical danger. Tell them that God is pleased with you just by believing and receiving Jesus Christ as Son. And it works that spring from legalism, a works-based doctrinal position, produces miserable Christians. And the nature of a cult is that real Christians get caught up with the false teachers, with the liars. So the best way to approach it is first to pray for them. Tell God, ask God to open their eyes. Pray for them, all of them, by name. If there's five of them, then there's children. The head of that family is going to stand before God responsible for those kids and for his wife. And you need to tell him, approach him in love. Don't argue with him, but in love. Just tell him to check it out for himself. Don't swallow the lies. And then John and Spring Branch, you keep praying for him. And as you've warned him, the Holy Spirit will continue to do his work. Uh, We have in our church, oh, I'm going to guess half a dozen families uh, over the years, people that have stayed with us now for a long time, who came out of cults. And um, it takes a long time for them to to shed the baggage. Um, they lose contact with friends. They get shunned. Um, but there is hope. And the families from our church who've come out of cults are thriving. As they learn the Bible, they learn about grace, they learn about God's nature and God's character. So, John, this is a very, very serious spiritual battle. And it seems like you've been appointed by God to be at the head of this war, so you pray and you never stop praying. If you talk to him, John, I'd appreciate a follow-up. I'll be praying for you and for them as well. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. I got the Leslie question from Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah says, and I'm laughing because this is typical of every one of us as Christians, especially we who are men. I'm asking God to show me his will for my life. I'm getting no response. Am I doing something wrong? Yeah, Isaiah, you are. You know, um, instead of asking God to show you his will for your life, tell God that all you want is to be in his will. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If God would tell you now, and I don't know how long you've been a believer, Isaiah, but if God would tell you right now today what his 10-year or 15-year plan for your life is, I promise you it would terrify you. It would terrify you. You're not ready to know yet. So here's what God is asking you to do, Isaiah. He's asking you to be in God's will every day. Don't worry about whether you're called to be a pastor, don't, called to be a doctor, called to be a cop, called to be whatever. 
You just follow Jesus today. You serve the Lord today. You keep your Bible open. You keep the line of communication via prayer and conversation with the Lord. And you walk with Jesus every day. And five years from now, ten years from now, you'll be right in the middle of his perfect will. You see, God only tells us what we need to know. I kind of laugh with my church and say that I'm on a need-to-know basis with the Lord, and evidently he doesn't think he, I need to know as much as I think I need to know. But here's the thing. You can't miss his will for your life. Serve where you are. Be faithful at home. I don't know how old you are, if you're married, or, or if you're... I don't know anything about you, Isaiah, but, but just as an example, if you're married, be the husband that Jesus has appointed you to be or the father he's appointed you to be. At your workplace, be the light that he's asked you to be. In your church, be the servant that he's asked you to be. If you get up every morning and say, Lord, I'm available. What about me and what about today? I promise you, you will not only know the will of God for your life, you'll be living it. But just stop looking for the long-term plan. Walk by faith with Jesus every day. And I promise you 10 years from now, or 20 years from now, you'll be right in the middle of God's perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will. And if you're anything like, like me, Isaiah, you'll be thinking, I don't deserve this. How did I ever get here? And the way I got where I am, and see, I, I, I'm not special, but I know with zero doubt that I'm doing exactly what God wants me to do every day. Now, he makes my days exciting, and he brings me surprises <laughs> during those days. But, but I know that I'm to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel, San Antonio. I know that I'm to invest my life to spend and be spent for the people that he's given me the privilege and honor of being their pastor. I know that I'm called to be Paula's husband. And my job is to present her holy and blameless before the Lord on that day. We stand with him. I know I'm to be kind. I know I'm to be a source of encouragement to others. And I was just like you when I got saved. I need to know, God, what am I going to do? Well, he called me to be a pastor. I knew that. But I didn't know then. It was only six months into my walk with Jesus, I didn't really know what a pastor did. I had no idea what my life would be like. And I was terrified in 1994 when the Lord said, come to San Antonio. Paul and I had no idea what waited for us. We had no idea the difficulties that we were going to face. We had no idea how we were going to start a church, how we were going to provide even for food and, and rent. But 26 years later, we're here under what I call the spout where the glory comes out. We know by any doubt, without any doubt, that we're right in the middle of His will. The only way we got there was walking with Jesus every day. When we got to San Antonio, he didn't tell me, okay, here's a list of things to do, and here's what's going to happen. He tested me. Tonight's Bible study with David is about a series of tests. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, It's required that every man given a trust by God must prove faithful. Isaiah, that's you. So the test is following Jesus in the absence of knowing his specific will for your life. Following Jesus every day when it's hard and when it's delightful. Those are your tests every day. And Jesus will be right there with you. So, are you doing something wrong? No, just walk with Jesus. Don't expect a response. Just say, Lord, thy will be done in my life, not my will be done. You know, I'll say one more thing. I don't know how we're doing on time. About three minutes. Um, I have noticed, um, I mean, all young people are impatient. I was, and 
my dad before me was. But I've noticed with the, the, the millennials, Gen X's, that they're compelled to know what their future holds. I've watched kids that were raised in this church stress out because they're getting ready to graduate. They don't know what college they're going to. They don't know what they want to do with their life. They don't know what the major. Shouldn't I know all these things by now? For Christians, Isaiah, the fact that you don't know indicates you're right in the middle of his will. So stop asking the question. Just follow Jesus. We're inside two minutes, so let me take one more question here. This is from Anonymous. Is it okay for a Christian to use marijuana now that it's legal? Well, it's not legal everywhere yet, Anonymous, but even in those states where it is legal, uh, for medicinal purposes or recreational purposes, it doesn't make any difference. It is never okay for a Christian to use marijuana or to be sober and vigilant because the time is near for the Lord to return. We can't be sober if we're stoned. We're supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So no, it's never okay. It is a sin. Not only is it a sin, but it's a sin that gives the enemy such an opening into your your, your brain and into your mind um, that he'll use it to destroy you. So it's not okay. It is never okay. Um, it's the opposite of everything that God wants for us. Thanks for tuning in today. It's been the Wednesday edition of the program. Phones were quiet, but the questions were good. You've been listening to the Word of Stand Up For Life. Remember, Paul alive in studio tomorrow on the date day edition of the Word of Stand Up For Life. Lord willing, we'll be back at four. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the Word to Stand On For Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.